Welcome to Transformational Pathways, a podcast created by Toastmasters District 46 in the greater New York area, where we share conversations from influencers within the Toastmasters community and people whose lives have positively transformed by walking down the Toastmasters path. Whether you're just getting started in your career, have had recent career changes, or you're navigating different languages, we're here to help you build confidence by discovering new tools, overcoming your fears to find your voice, and engaging in a thriving community. Enjoy today's episode. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Toastmasters District 46 Transformational Pathways Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and walking the pathway with me today is our guest, Jan Paul Rudebull. Jan Paul, you are currently the Vice President of Corporate Treasury for International Capital Management with MetLife. You have 30 years of life insurance and capital management experience with major corporations. You are the president of the MetLife Toastmasters Club, which, by the way, is a great one to attend. You're one of the charter members of District 46 new podcast club. You're the current program quality director for District 46, and you were just elected to be the director for all of District 46 starting in July. Congratulations, Jan Paul, and welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Scott. After such an introduction, uh, yes, uh, I have 30 years of experience, and uh, but it doesn't feel like it. I'm still learning every day. I love that. And actually, that the fact that you would choose to say that right up front goes as to some of the key things that I am very excited to talk to you about today. And I bet those that are watching or listening will really enjoy about their experience meeting you through this show. But before we get to all of that, Jan Paul, international capital management, corporate treasury, those aren't just $5 words. Those are $25 words. What do they mean? What do you do for a living? Exactly. Explain it to us lay people. I make sure that our policyholders can sleep at night and that management can sleep at night as part of a bigger team, of course. We want to make sure that the regulators, so the governments all over the world where we do business are happy with how we operate and have sufficient capital. So that's in a nutshell what the capital management department does. Awesome. I think... That's totally understandable. <laughs> now, Jan Paul, you got to fess up for me here. And I don't think you'll deny this. You don't have a New York accent, do you? Maybe not a New York, maybe not Brooklyn, but I've been <laughs> in New York since uh, 2011. I came to the U.S. in 2004. And I'm originally from South Africa. I grew up there. I worked and studied there, and that's where I got my insurance legs. But I'm happy that that uh, gave me the opportunity to come to New York City. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Where in South Africa were you born and raised? I'm from Pretoria, the capital city, which is in the center of the country. And then later I studied and worked 
in the wonderful, beautiful city of Cape Town. Oh. And what was life like there? What was it like being Jan Paul studying in Cape Town? And did you imagine that you'd someday end up in a place like New York City, halfway around the globe? Hmm. You really want to know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Before I got this job here in the U.S., America or the United States of America was not in my top 20 list because all I knew about the country was that what I learned from L.A. law and (laughs) all of those uh, stories about crime. (laughs) So I really did not put America very high up on my list. But since I've come here, I've really, I, I know one has to live in New York City at least once in your life. That's right. I'm, I'm very happy that the universe made that happen for me. Well, let's talk about the universe's mechanisms a little bit. First of all, how fascinating to know that that's the image that the U.S. is sending out about New York and about itself. Where did you want to live if you had a, the choice of living anywhere when you were growing up in South Africa? Or did you want to stay there your whole life? Yeah, if somebody had asked me six months before I came to the U.S. whether I would want to live elsewhere, I would have said, elsewhere, I'm in Cape Town. And Cape Town is actually on the top five list of of most beautiful cities. Mm -hmm. But there's much more to life than just looking at beautiful mountains and beautiful oceans, having all Mm -hmm. your friends there. Um, Mm -hmm. You make me think back at, uh, and that's why I visit uh, regularly. My parents are still there. And uh, obviously, I have wonderful friends there, wonderful memories. But I feel happy. I feel comfortable after I've spent two nights in a place. That's who I am as well. I'm adaptable. A good skill, especially for a Toastmaster. And it's one of the skills I'm sure Toastmasters has elevated even further. Jan Paul, talk to me a little bit about your background as a young man in South Africa from a career perspective or from an educational perspective. Were you always interested in finance? Were you someone who sort of fell into it? Did you have a family history of that or did it just sort of pop out of the box one day? Actually, how this happened, how I got into insurance was I was in the military. I was in the Navy in South Africa. We had to do military service at the time, but I enjoyed going into the Navy, spending some time there in uniform, learning. That's where you really learn to get to know people from all walks of life. And you get around. I did some service in the middle of Africa. Imagine me, you know, with a, with a rifle, Walking around there on patrol and the next morning when you wake up, you actually see that you slept on a scorpion. That's one of the things that I experienced. And also just a couple of hundred yards away, an elephant were passing by, about 120 elephants that I could count. You see, I was already in math at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about this a little bit more. What position exactly did you have in the military? And and do they branch up the military 
like they do in the U.S., or is it different than us somehow? And if so, what branch were you in? Yes, I was in the Navy. I was I was in communications. So we had sparkers and bunters, so people who can do Morse code and things like oh, that. Wow. I can still say Morse code in my sleep. And I learned to type in the Navy as well. So something which is very useful, uh, even up to today. I bet. How did you end up outside of the military sending you there? How did you end up in Central Africa, Africa and what sort of mission were you on? What country were you even in? Well, part of it is probably still classified. But, gotcha. Uh, we were, South Africa was uh, somewhere on a mission and I uh, was part of that group of people. I was helping the Marines. So as a naval person, I was helping the Marines and I got to experience not shaving, not washing for nine days. That's the maximum that I went without uh, washing at all because water there wasn't that, uh, you know, you wouldn't use it just to clean up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's actually particularly interesting to hear for those of us who are Toastmasters in the district, all of whom know you and might not imagine that as being part of your background. Talk to us a little bit about what, if anything, you learned from that experience. I learned that I can do anything that I set my mind to. Mm. There were some dangerous situations, of course, but to stay calm, to think about what you have to do, to have a checklist to yeah. extent, I can think back at at least one time that I think I could. Uh, we're going to cut this part. <laughs> uh, what what I remember that is specifically a learning point of what I achieved there was that one day we had somebody was shot, and I had to coordinate the evacuation of the person. That meant staying calm, no. communicating with everybody, making sure they understood what the mission was, and specifically making sure that the people for whom it mattered most, namely the injured person, was evacuated. Uh, and uh, so those are, and I think there are many things, maybe not that crucial, not that life-threatening, but there are many things in life that one must just think about staying calm, what are the priorities, uh, don't try to blame anyone, uh, think about what you've learned, you know, you fall back onto, onto your training, uh, trust other people. So I think that's uh, a lesson that uh, I learned back then that I still apply today. Jan Paul, I've just got to ask, what are some tips for staying calm that you might be able to throw out there for those of us that tend to get into a frenzy, particularly over nothing, who might not have ever had the opportunity to learn it in the way that you had to, let alone apply it? Well, I think, number one, you probably tr should trust yourself. Think about the experience that you already have. 
Think about the success stories that you've had and therefore don't doubt yourself. Secondly, when such a situation comes, that's a time to show what you're capable of. Mm. So step up at that point in time, go for it. Because if you wait too long and wait for other people's permission or for other people to act and something is really crucial, then it might be too late. So I think it's that balance of knowing when to step out, when to maybe step across Mm -hmm. the line that would be there ordinarily. And uh, there's a general statement about asking for permission versus asking for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think if you do things for the right reason, yes, you know kind of the constraints, you know what what you're allowed to do, but also what the situation asks for. Yes. Then then you should step up and you can, even though it's not on my resume, it's something, yes, I carry that with me. And and you you kind of tease that out now. Yeah. That's what this is all about. Amazing. One other thing that I just have to know. Did that scorpion sting you? Tell us, please. No, he did not. Oh, no, good. I, uh, I survived. I did it survive? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it actually walked away. Slowly, <laughs> it it kind of spread its legs and uh, walked away. Yes. <laughs> so, you were somewhere else before you came to New York. Talk to us a little bit through the next step of your journey. Yes. Yeah, so, my first place in the U.S. where I lived was uh, in Philadelphia. I worked in Wilmington, Delaware, just south of Philadelphia. But yep. I, the place, my apartment and my my house was in Philadelphia. Yeah. A wonderful city, a city where I owned my first brownstone. And, oh. and for people in New York, they might say, wow, Jan Paul owned a brownstone. But in Philadelphia, things are 10 times cheaper. <laughs> yeah. No. New York brownstones, right. they are for, for, the, uh, for the rich. In <laughs> Philadelphia, it's, it's much more affordable. Now, for those who might be listening or watching who are familiar with Philadelphia, again, they're going to die to know what part of Philadelphia were you in. Okay. I was in Center City. Oh, at 20th and Arch, around there, on, on oh. wonderful Apple Tree Street. It's a, it's a short street with, uh, yes, all our neighbors. We know each other. Uh, and there's a uh, diner on the corner. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you how I found this place. It was a place that needed a lot of renovation. And I had told my realtor, I don't want a place that needs any work. <laughs> So after the third time when she'd taken me to something that really didn't make sense based on my requirements, because I said, I want a place that has parking. I want a place that doesn't require any, any work done. She took me to that place. No parking. It was a mess. Students had lived there for 10 years and nobody had cleaned up and they had split it up into different smaller bedrooms. So it was maybe a place for 10 students. 
another place you want to live in if you have uh, if if you're just two people in the house. So after I almost fired her, I said, <laughs> "Wait a minute! If I can get this place for a good price, then I uh, I'll do it." And deep down inside, maybe that's what I should have done. We spoke about the universe putting things. Absolutely. I actually love doing interior decorating or renovations. Even when I was young, I, I designed extensions to my parents' house. I designed the oh, uh, really? uh, walls and things like that. Uh, I, yes, ev- every time I'm, I'm looking for an excuse. So this happened uh, also in Philadelphia, even though I had not planned that. And yes, the rest is history. I had a wonderful seven years there living in a, in a beautiful place that was renovated. I lived through wow. it, you know, living while they were hammering away, things like that. Which I'm sure could not have been pleasant. What was more chaotic, living in a building that was undergoing renovation or moving to New York City? New York, moving to New York City was actually quite under control. Huh? Yeah, because I decided that for the first year, I was not going to move all my stuff. It would go into uh-huh. storage and just live in a couple of places, getting to know where I would like to live. And I, uh, you know what I looked up first when I heard I, was, I had this opportunity to work in New York City? I looked up where the Trader Joe's were. Because <laughs> well, were you disappointed with the answer at the time? <laughs> no. Well, there at the time there were only four. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm um, not too far from from a Trader Joe today, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm happy where I am. <laughs> and what neighborhood did you end up in when you first came here? Well, I lived in Jersey City. Oh. But not in the apartments, in kind of a house. Kind of yeah. like, like real Jersey City people. And then I lived in uh, in Inwood, which is in the kind of upper, upper uh, west side of New York. Yes. And it's now a, I'm in Hell's Kitchen. Well, let me just ask you, Inwood, that's one of those places people kind of know where it is, but they mostly know it through like the traffic reports or the maps that they see. How'd you like living there? And... How did it compare to living in Hell's Kitchen particularly? How long have you been in Hell's Kitchen? I've been here since 2012, so eight years now. Yeah, so it's changed a little bit in that yeah. time. Is that not correct? Yeah, well, uh, Inwood is uh, where you, you have it's, – it's kind of a mixture. It is a very strong Latino area. So many people around there can only speak Spanish. And it, it was wonderful to go to the restaurants there. Uh, people uh, play games outside. So I felt like I was a, somewhat of a tourist, but I still lived there. Yeah. Which, which was a wonderful way to get to know uh, that part of the city. And uh, Hell's Kitchen is it's kind of a mixture. It's between... Uh, where tourists are in, in Times Square and then where normal people live and go <laughs> on, on Ninth Avenue. 
So I prefer the Ninth Avenue non-tourist part of it. You are a true New Yorker if you are referring to tourists as non-normal people. I respect that, Jan Paul. How did you end up in Toastmasters? Tell us. Good question. Uh, I joined Toastmasters because my boss had suggested I join. But uh, whoa, some of you. What, what's the story? <laughs> some of what? you uh, have heard this before, where I said I did not take that as a compliment. <laughs> but I actually am very happy that uh, I ended up in Toastmasters because it has changed my life and I've seen so many other people's lives changed. And that has kept me in Toastmasters. It's funny because sometimes bosses that we all might have make suggestions that we get involved in certain courses of study or do certain things that can be taken as a compliment. But really, they present such rich opportunities. How exactly did it come to be that your boss told you that? Hmm, yes. Okay, uh, let me be honest, transparent, uh, vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> that's how we connect with each other, and that's what we say in Toastmasters. I love it. Yes, yes. So, I work with numbers. As you said at the beginning, it's international capital management, which means we work with, I work with many different sets of numbers. But when I talk up, talked about numbers, notice the past tense. When I talked mm -hmm. about those numbers, I would bring the whole encyclopedia with me mm. to make sure that everybody understood exactly what those numbers meant mm -hmm. instead of mm -hmm. summarizing them instead of taking the audience into account where have you heard that before in Toastmasters <laughs> so my boss actually said I can trust your numbers but when I take you with me to a meeting you lose the audience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the rest is kind of history because I think it's I think I've improved and especially my emails have improved. I think I'm more to the point, structured, like one would write a speech. That is fascinating. And I have to say, in all of the conversations that I've had about Toastmasters over the years, and in all of the talking points that I've heard Toastmasters throw out to the world about its many benefits, improved Email writing is one I've never heard, but that's actually a powerful point. That's such a dominant form of business communication, even with the emergence of text and DMs and all of these other ways of communicating. The hardcore stuff still goes through email. Yes, it's very true. We, well, whenever we communicate with people in whatever form, we have to make sure it's it's, it's fit for purpose. And mm -hmm. that maybe sounds too generic, but I, but I think the things that we hear when we do speeches in Toastmasters, we can, we can apply in other ways too. Tell us about your first Toastmasters meeting. My first Toastmasters club, and 
I don't really know what the term home club nowadays means for me because I'm a member of many, many clubs, six. I think the podcast club is now number seven. Hmm. But the, my very first club, and I'm still a member of them, very active, is was Pride Toastmasters. And I walked in there, and for all the Toastmasters, you, you might laugh and say, did young Paul really experience his first Toastmasters meetings like this? I was afraid I hid in the back of the room oh. or three times. I didn't want to be recognized to be called for table topics because no. I thought the people that went to the front were actually had been given this, the question before the time. They were so impressive. I felt intimidated. Wow. And so only after the fourth time that I attended did I raise my hand after somebody had had told me, had corrected my understanding that table topics is truly impromptu. <laughs> Amazing. What was your first speech about? My first speech was about my coming out process. I'm gay and I shared that story. I shared the story how I told my mom for the first time, but after I tried three or four times to tell her and then the fourth time and months had gone between those different times that I tried to, to tell her that. So uh, this time we were in a restaurant and we had already finished the dessert and I still hadn't told her. Mm. So I went uh, to, the, to the restroom, washed my face and I said, are you ever going to tell her what's going to be different next time? And so... I kind of made up my mind, but I was still not 100% uh, prepared. And I uh, then walked back to the table and she said, uh, as, as they were bringing the check, uh, she said, so tell me about uh, your girlfriend. And I said, uh, I touched her hand and I said, mom, Actually, I am uh, not straight. I am, uh, and I said at the time in my mathematical background, <laughs> <laughs> I am less or equal than bi. <laughs> One way of, of explaining that I'm not straight. <laughs> did she understand what you meant? She did, yes. So we spoke a bit more and then we went home. I was visiting my parents and uh, she said, uh, I'm of course not keeping this a secret from your dad. And I went, uh, so she went to look for my dad and uh, she told him and he came and he just hugged me. He called my name and he just sat there. And uh, yeah, it wasn't that easy for them. Of course, coming out for me is is uh, wasn't easy. Yeah. But for parents, it's not easy to come out because suddenly 
they are now parents of a gay son. Yes. And in the past, they've not had to come out as that. It, I was just their unmarried son. Right, right, right. Jan Paul, how old were you when you came out to your folks? I was uh, in my 30s. And they were and are still living in South Africa. Is that correct? That's right, yes. Culturally, what was the vibe that coming out might bring someone into in South Africa when you came out? Well, at the time, uh, there wasn't uh, marriage equality in South Africa. Uh, but it actually came about in 1996, so mm -hmm. which was much earlier than here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So the Constitution actually uh, at the time was uh, required. We got a new Constitution, and that required uh, that uh, there would be no distinction between uh, gay marriage and, uh, and the straight marriage. But that, that's uh, legal. I think people everywhere have some difficulty in coming out. You're in the minority. You see examples of uh, more people are straight, of course. And uh, people have dreams, their own dreams, their own. Uh, people see what uh, what, a, what a princess princess is looking for, a prince charming. Yes. Things like that. Uh, but I'm very happy that I can be can be out can be myself and i think to get it back to toastmasters i think if one is authentic then one communicates better if you are hiding something then people sense that or if you are pretending yes. then that's kind of obvious even if yes. you don't say something it's kind of obvious by the things that you leave out. Do you feel that Toastmasters can help people learn how to be more authentic then? Very much so. If you were to ask me what is a tagline for Toastmasters, and I know we say it's lead, where leaders are made or uh, you build confidence, all of those very true. But finding your own voice, mm -hmm. that is what Toastmasters will do for everyone. Because in the workplace, speaking up, uh, what you can, can uh, uh, how you can contribute, being uh, a good listener, so being empathic, uh, helping people, and also uh, just being comfortable in your own skin to be socially uh, interactive with people. I, I think Toastmasters, I think Toastmasters is wonderful. It's a, kind of the best kept secret. We shouldn't keep it a secret. We should all talk about it whenever we can and bring in more people into Toastmasters. We should make sure that our clubs are, are conducive and, and positive learning experiences. Yeah. And this past year, as the program quality director, and even before, 
I've attended so many club meetings and all of them are unique. Every club is different, but they're all so warm and welcoming. Mm. And uh, I, I can just see how it benefits people. Yeah. Yeah. Did your boss end up being happy with what Toastmasters did for you? Did he get to see those outcomes? <laughs> yes. Well, my, my boss, the original boss, uh, she uh, moved on. But she... Oh, I'm sorry. I got the misgendered the person. I apologize for that. For anyone who might be listening, if it's her. <laughs> you can read. Do you want to restart that sentence? Nope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to. Oh, you know what? Actually, we will. Yes. Yeah. So we'll start. Editors, make a note of this. So your boss, was she happy with the outcomes of your Toastmaster experience? Did she get what she wanted from you? Well, I think I'm still a work in progress. I've changed bosses since then, but I'm sure they appreciate that what I can bring to the table uh, now, uh, probably more than before, yes. Tell us the most inspiring Toastmaster story that you have seen or heard about, especially being a member of so many clubs, you have to have heard a story or two, or maybe you're that story yourself. Yeah, I, I think I, I, uh, I am uh, one of those stories, but what keeps on inspiring me, what's feeding my passion is seeing other people and how they grow in, in front of your, my eyes. I, I remember a person in our corporate club who everybody thought wouldn't even step up as a Toastmaster of the day because she was very shy and her job didn't require her to interact with anybody. Mm -hmm. But one day she did the job and she rose to the occasion. She was wonderful. Today, she's a project manager. I am, and she is checking in on people. She is talking to people much more her senior, getting things done. She is one of those examples in the corporate world. Another example, which got, which kept me elated for 48 hours and longer. It's still actually feeding me when I have to think about uh, motivating others to join Toastmasters. It's one of our clubs in uh, a university club. I think I can say Fordham University. And one of the members there told me that she raised her hand in class for the first time after having been in Toastmasters for six months. So I thought, wow, life changing for her. Yeah. Before Toastmasters, she would not have been able to get one question answered. She wouldn't have qualified for a for being called for an interview, let alone now having a a, a green card, and all because of Toastmasters, all that, because of her, as I said before, finding her voice. Yeah, that is amazing. Let's quickly give a quick shout out to all of the clubs that you're a member of. 
Okay, I already mentioned Pride Toastmasters, but uh, Leadership Roundtable is a club that meets, that used to meet around the table where <laughs> food, was the, food was brought in by waiters. So you learned how to uh, operate and give speeches while your audience and yourself might be distracted. As wow! Into, can you please pass the salt? Uh, is, this your, is this your salad? Those types of things. Wonderful club. Uh, the, my corporate club, uh, Met NYC. Great club as well. Strong club. Uh, you, you gave a shout out to them before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, then I'm a member of Jade Toastmasters. It's a Chinese English uh, bilingual club. My English, uh, my Chinese is very limited. I bring in the bilingual there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I have told people about my trip to Washington in Chinese. Uh, then I'm a member of another bilingual club, the French bilingual club. Mm -hmm. Bonjour, bonsoir, depending on what time. I learned French in high school. And since then, I've only practiced when I bumped into tourists here or maybe... <laughs> A, a trip to France, uh, but this is a place, a warm, welcoming place where people can practice their French in a welcoming uh, atmosphere, which, yes, I, I'm sure I'm leaving out a, a, another club, but uh, I'm a member of, of Virtual Parliamentarians. It's a club where we learn how to apply Robert's Rules. Robert's rules are formal meeting rules. It's like uh, proposing a, a, a emotion, voting on emotion, things like that. And we do table topics in that format. You might, wow. You might think it's very, very dry, but it's so much fun. Wow. You're learning all the time. I told you before, I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress when it comes to to formal parliamentary procedures, and this is a fun way to learn those. Do you feel, though, and I am asking this on the behalf of the audience, do you feel that that is something that has actual application in the world for the majority of people who might be starting out in their career or might be in any number of different professional situations? Or is that sort of like model United Nations where you pretend to be a delegate to the United Nations, but let's face it, most of us don't end up diplomats. Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think it has lots of applications. In addition to the formal Toastmasters meetings that we have to have, many of us are members of, say, the Parent Teachers Association or uh, NGOs, or we might have our own companies that have to have shareholder meetings. Yes. So it does make sense to know a little bit more about what a a fair meeting is, what a how how you make sure that people's voices are heard and how you ultimately make decisions. So it is uh, the book itself is very thick. I haven't read it yet, but <laughs> I'm fascinated by my exposure so far to this because it's it's just fun 
how to ultimately vote on whether we should have uh, apples or pears as the fruit of the month. You could have just been a member of a zillion clubs and had a ball doing that, but something made you decide to move up further within the Toastmasters organization itself. Till now, you are about to become the head of an entire district that has clubs which have countless members involved in them. What made you decide to take that first step? And what made you decide to keep moving? I never planned this, this journey. And every step, I didn't plan the next step. Being a, getting an opportunity to, to lead or to have some kind of a different role outside of your club, I found to be very rewarding. You learn a lot. You get stretched a lot. It really showed me where my comfort zone ended and how I could could push it. I mean, imagine going to a club that you don't know at all, right? It's a completely different audience. Yes. It could be either a community club where people don't know you at all and you have to be uh, connect with them. Yes. Or a corporate club that you would ordinarily not be allowed into that world and you have to add value. So I love the idea of of that kind of that challenge. That was the first one, the area director role of of doing that. Actually, my very first role outside was when I was asked to be a timer at (laughs) area contest outside of, uh, and uh, shout out to, Times Toastmasters. It was held at New York Times Toastmasters. Oh, I love it. And, you know, timers, particularly at the contest level, is actually a fairly stressful job. It Because there's a lot that's dependent on that. If you make a mistake, someone can get disqualified and their whole dream trajectory for participation in the contest, their whole confidence, a whole host of things could be impacted by that. So it's actually not something that we... I take all that lightly and I understand why you wouldn't take it that lightly either or perceive it as a real leadership role or a, a role of some consequence. Yeah. I, well, I, I believe that everything that we do, we have to do well, unless you decide to just relax. Well, maybe even that you have to do well <laughs> because we all need to be reinvigorated. So we have to do something else intense after we've done the right things intensely. But uh, yes, I, that's what I love about Toastmasters. All the experienced Toastmasters, people who've done all the district and maybe even international and regional roles already, they continue to be involved. They keep on giving back. So they are the inspiration to me now because all of them are willing to do all the roles. Yeah, that's what Toastmasters. There is a hierarchy, but actually, there is also no hierarchy because everybody, once you're in a club, in a club meeting, then the Toastmaster of the day is in charge, and the timer can be anybody with any title, any experience. So I, 
I love it. And also doing their doing your job well every time makes uh is a gift you can give. It's a respect to the audience, respect to the speaker. Jan Paul, have you begun to develop a vision for District forty six? This interview happens kind of at a, at a difficult time because I will have to discuss all of that with the other district leaders. I want to make sure that, that it's our vision, that we mm. all own it, that, that uh, they will feel that, uh, it's, that they would want to spend their time, their energy, maybe late nights or early mornings, uh, on achieving it, but uh, I don't want to cop out in terms of my original thoughts. And uh, I'd say build on what we already have. I think we've I've been part of the trio this year. I think we've built up some some uh, great things, some uh, uh, great outputs, some uh, excellent uh, experiences this year. Shout out to all of the PQD team. That did a wonderful job this year. So when it comes to next year, I think we want to build on that. And we, I, I want to make sure that everybody feels that they get at least one step better. A club mm-hmm. that in the past didn't have any goals, one or two goals will be great, will be an excellent achievement. A club where and I hope there aren't that many clubs by the time uh, I look at the list again. Uh, but a club that doesn't have all of their members enrolled in Pathways. <laughs> the educational program. Everybody should be actively participating in the educational program. Uh, so I want people to have ca- feel comfortable to have caring conversations. So I know we've used the word uh, uncomfortable conversations where both parties are uncomfortable. But yes. I think we come from a, 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 an angle where we look at a conversation where, where we care about the other person. In other words, where we want to share, we say it's not, and we don't get, we, none of us get paid. We don't get commission. But the fact that I'm telling you about Toastmasters, why you should join, or my experience in Toastmasters, and I think you will benefit, that's a type of caring conversation that we should have. The fact that not everybody renews in clubs, we should reach out to those people in a caring way because we miss them. We know that they can benefit. Yes. And a, an area director, a division director that visits a club, they're not going through the motions just to check a box. Yes. The idea is that they have a caring conversation, which might be outside of their comfort zone, but that's also part of what Toastmasters is about, to grow and learn. And hopefully we can help each other in that process to have that caring conversation. So I hope we can have those conversations so that the everybody in the district uh, 
that all clubs benefit from more members. The district will benefit uh, by being stronger, but most importantly, all the members, and especially the new members who don't even know about Toastmasters yet, will say yes to a caring conversation when somebody invites them in. I love that that conception of a caring conversation as opposed to a difficult conversation or how I heard it framed when I was in large organizational life. I'm going to have a hard conversation with you. (laughs) When I heard that... (laughs) I somehow didn't feel cared for, <laughs> but a caring conversation really does set a positive tone. It also frames the mindset of the speaker, of the person who is leading the caring conversation. Jan Paul, tell us about one leader and one speaker who you admire. A leader, I I think uh, two people for different, yeah. Uh, I think Nelson Mandela as a leader is from South Africa, of course. At the time when he could have made a decision of continuing a uh, a difficult time, a problematic time, or getting revenge, he chose to build, and uh, unfortunately, he was only the president for five years. But I think during that time, he showed that he was a man of character. A speaker was also a leader. I would say is President Obama, and I'll I uh, won't go into details about kind of his politics. Uh, or, or even how he conducted himself during the time. Uh, but I think what I like about him is he's so intellectual. I love it when, when people are logical, when, <laughs> when, when it makes sense, when you can see he, he applied his mind to mm-hmm. something and you can understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I thought you were going to ask me a question about who would I invite to dinner. Uh, and that's the only question I prepared, actually. It was going to be President Obama, because I think I, I'm, I'm going to ask him which of his decisions had been the most difficult, because it's it's clearly yeah. not easy. It's yeah. not it's not uh, clear cut everything. You just demonstrated, by the way. A tremendous skill that all Toastmasters learn through table topics. And for folks who are not, who are not members who may be watching or listening and wondering what, what is table topics? Table topics is what Jan Paul mentioned earlier. It is when you are asked a random question and you have to stand up there and answer. And one of the tricks of the trade, I'm totally busting out a Toastmasters secret here, is that you don't have to directly answer the question. You can just say any old thing and you can change the topic if you want to. And you just did that brilliantly, young Paul. Now there are no Toastmasters secrets anymore. You, you just throw them all out there. So I'm going to have to change the subject on you. Your LinkedIn Rex. 
I looked at them and one was from one of your professors. One was from, I believe, someone who managed you. There may have been another one in there as well. One of the things that I noticed when looking at those recommendations was, well, first of all, that they all used in one way or another language describing your brilliance. They particularly talked about the facility of your mind, but they also talked about your true commitment to growing and improving and becoming a better person. I believe one of your professors said something like he didn't get his MBA just to have another certificate, but because he really wanted to learn and grow. Jan Paul, why are you such a believer in personal transformation? Hmm, that's a summary I've, I haven't heard yet, but yes, I, I, I like to learn. <laughs> I, I like to, uh, see how I can apply things. Now, it doesn't mean that I automatically remember everything or integrate everything in my life, but I think there's so many different theories out there or different different uh we are, there are so many difficult problems to solve in the world that to think about them is is at least one way to to try to help mm. and kind of one one problem at a time i i think you asked me earlier on uh how can one stay calm that's what I learned from one of my bosses. Uh, one of my first bosses, I was sitting in front of his desk. Uh, he was in a closed office. I was sitting at my cubicle. And I always overheard him talk to a wide variety of people. And every time he just focused on them. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he was not distracted. He paid attention. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to, that, that's what I like about that. So, Try to not be distracted. Try to look somebody in the eye and and to bring your best out there. It sounds like I'm now, I kind of adapted all the kind of the positive things from others. But the reason why I'm still, why I'm interested in learning is because I still have to learn or I want to solve a problem or I realize that there are two people involved or at least two people and it's also a person on the other side. So... How do you deal with another person? How do you, how do you come to a solution that, or an understanding that makes sense? It's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I make mistakes. I, I don't want to want to, and I still have to learn a lot. And maybe I've not learned all the lessons. I'm sure I've not learned all the lessons in life. It's this, this interview is, is, uh, kind of, somewhat difficult because the moment I hear it, it's out there and <laughs> it reminds me of, of who I also am or maybe was that I feel everything is connected and everything has a context. Yes. So one has to, uh, if you just say one sentence, you actually have to have a paragraph to explain that sentence. Yes. And that's why I like to connect with people, build a relationship, uh, 
just walking in and uh, obviously sometimes one has to do that. You have to make a first impression always, but you have to make a, uh, sometimes to be effective, you need to get to know people yeah. and they get to have to get to know you. Yeah. Jan Paul, it has been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. For those of you who are listening or watching, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and, and leave a review or comment. And don't forget to follow District 46 on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you're new to Toastmasters, check out Toastmasters46.org. That's Toastmasters46.org to learn more about us or to visit one of our clubs. Toastmasters is where leaders are made. Thank you so much made. for joining us are on Transformational Pathways. If you enjoyed today's are episode made. or got anything are out of it, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters District 46, check out the link in the show notes below.